Hello folks, it's Paul Larkin here, just giving you a wee podcast about my upcoming book, Wim's Tims, which I uh, initially sort of brought out um, in a very kind of smaller, um, less detailed fashion um, 10 years ago. And what I've decided to do is give it the old uh, same treatment as I um, gave from from Albert with love, and um, I'm about to... Uh, commence that well I've started that actually but for a pre-order of February and a release date of May 9th 2021 so why Wim's Tim's well I mean first of all anybody that was around or alive at that time um, knows the significance of the season and also knows you know um, just how much tension and you know everything had been gone into the that season. I mean in terms of you have to understand that at that time, you know, Rangers winning nine in a row had um created a huge psychological blow against us. Which was started with them signing um Judas on, on the tenth of July nineteen eighty nine. And we just never really recovered or even began to recover for that until about nineteen ninety five. When Tommy Leighton lifted the Scottish Cup for us, and um, I think it was an incredible amount of events when you consider the players that we'd had the previous season of your Decanios and Andy Toms and Pierre Van Hoydonk, George Cadetti, um, that I think the Huns saw that as their biggest threat. To to win in ten in a row was um, that team because it was clearly a lot of quality. You know, a lot of good players in there, and um, you could tell the tensions were kind of ranked up um, at that point um, in terms of their kind of renewed hatred towards us, I guess. Um, so when we lost the players and, and Andy Tom would leave, but the three, the three amigos had gone, and then we'd started, you know, we get this guy in, Wim Janssen, and... Um, you know, the papers at the time said, you know, it was the second worst thing to hit Hiroshima because he'd previously managed in Japan. Um, but on that day, I remember reading just a wee snippet in one of the broadsheets about how Johan Cruyff said there's only four people in football worth talking to about football and one of them was Jimmy Janssen. And I thought, hmm, if this guy's not as bad as the tabloid media have um, told us. But of course, you know, it wasn't a great start. We were getting players in, new players in. We lost the first two games, which was, um, you know, about as bad as it gets, really. Um, You know, we obviously know about Easter Road and Henrik passing the ball and stuff like that. But the following week, I remember getting the new Celtic top on the Friday and um, we all had our new Celtic tops. A few of us met. And then, of course, we wore them all on the Saturday for them family game. Beautifully hot day. And um, obviously, we got beat 2-1 that day at home. I come back to Edinburgh via Haymarket Station and um, get an absolute dog's abuse for people walking the street and like, laughing and joking. And You know, when you're at that point, you're thinking, is this ever going ever going to be good again like because it went on for so long and every season you went and we renewed hopes and stuff 
and it was it looked like it had fallen apart before um, we even had a chance to secure it, like you know. So, but bit by bit it got better, and and I, and I kind of, you know, it, it was a kind of Wim's Tim's is a kind of coming age book for me because, I, see when I think back now, like my whole life, as I'm sure yours was as well, was absolutely consumed by that season. To the point where as I go to the end of near to near the end of the season, I just couldn't focus on anything else apart from Celtic and, and the football and that season and stuff. And I'm sure that I annoyed the fuck out of people who, who knew me in that because you know, I just couldn't I think anybody that era knows how much it meant to us and how bereft the trophies would be. And I get that other clubs, you know, they never win trophies or they win one trophy in somebody's lifetime and all that. But, you know, at Celtic, it's different, you know. You should be winning trophies every year. They should be setting a certain standard every year. And that had been gone for 10 years until this season. I remember a couple of the breakthrough points was Alan Stubbs equalising against the Huns in the last minute. And that was... If you look at the goal again, you'll see Jackie McNamara, who seems to set up every fucking uh, critical goal that year, swings the ball in after a corner, and and it just looks so easy. But of course, we all know it's no. And I think that was the beginning. You know, we won the league cup a couple of weeks later at Ibrox, which was a huge thing, huge thing. And then, of course, we beat them, the Huns, two uh, 0 second of January '98. Which was, oh, I mean, in terms of tension, I mean, people forget as well. At that time, you know, there was the the kind of backdrop of the Good Friday Agreement in Ireland going on at the same time as this football season was going on. And the week before, Billy Wright, um, the the leader of the LVF, had been shot um, in Long Cash by uh, the INLA. Guys called um, Crip McWilliams and um, John, somebody who escapes me now, um, and uh, the tension just ramped up um, incredibly towards that game. And I know if you're no that kind of, you're not a big politics person, or you're no or that political persuasion, I didn't care about that. But believe me, that was. There was uh, probably as much trouble before and after that game as there had been at a game for a, in a long time because of the political tensions in Ireland that fueled the kind of loyalist hardcore element of the at that time. John Kennedy was the guy's name, I just remembered. And, um, you know, that was massive, absolutely massive, but it was also massive for us to win that game. You remember, of course, the two goals flew past Andy Gorham that day, who was wearing a black armband. And he claimed it was for his dead auntie, I think, who had died about five years previous or something. But, of course, we knew it was for Billy Wright. And Gaza, who, you know, does documentaries now and says, oh, I've done the flute thing because that's what people told me the sash was. No, no, in the connotations, and then... People were telling me they were going to slip my throat and I couldn't believe I'd done it and all that kind of thing. Well, January 1998, he's on the bench for Rangers that day and he does the, the flute thing. So, 
but massive political backdrop um, to this season as well. So that was kind of interesting in writing this book. And also, I mean, there's a, I can't over-egg the tension. Every drop point felt like a death in a family that year, you know. Every defeat was like, this is it, that's it, they've done it, they've done it, they've done it, you know, that kind of thing. But I think at crucial times, I remember the February that year, Celtic were playing some outstanding football, you know, we'd, we'd beat them firm and 5 1. We went to Tynecastle, should have won 10 1, and ended up drawing 1 all. And if you watch it after, if you ever see that footage back, Jackie McNamara won man of the match for us that day, and uh, he had to get collected the uh, bottle of champagne, which he actually gave me, good man he is, years later. Uh, Jose Kotongo, who equalised for Hearts that day, is standing next to him, and Jackie had said to me, I just wanted to put the bottle over his head, because I knew, you know, how important it was and all that kind of thing. You know, and that, that's how it felt. I remember that's exactly how it felt all the time, every time, but it was crucial wins. I remember a really crucial win at Easter Road, when Mark Reaper scored the winner, and then a crucial win no long after that, Pataudry, when Craig Burley scored the winner, a penalty. The sort of winners where, you know, when you're going back in the bus or whatever, and you see another bus or sell it car or that, and you clench fists because you know how important it is. That season had a lot of the games, you know. The, there was also the game earlier in the season in January where we come back, hit Tardis and won 2 1. And, um, much hilarity ensued with uh, Seab Dykstra, who the Celtic fans uh, nicknamed the porn star. Um, and it was bad blood then, and it kind of went, and he'd be quite good, and and all that kind of thing. It was good for a laugh, but it was... Um, and then towards the end of the season, we were kind of stuttering and stammering and drawing games with Hearts and Hibs at home, and we lost at Ibrox. But we won at Kilmarnock right after that, and crucial, Simon Donnelly got the winner that night. And it was really, you know, going back into this, it was, you know, it was kind of like feeling the tensions of that time. You know, it's, it's like if you do, you know, as a writer, if you do a novel when you're different characters, you have to kind of become that character when you're writing as that character. And often you can forget to drop that character, you know, and be that character in your real life for a bit. Whereas this back, you know, at this point, I remember going to Dunfermline in the second last game of the season, and we went to Inverkeithen first. I think it was the central Inverkeithen, and um, we, we to have a drink, and we were all kind of sitting there behaving away the usual, but it was just it wasn't the same. Everybody, you knew the tension. You knew if you won this game, you would win the league. And we were all kind of sitting there and just about time for the bus to go. And the next thing, one of the boys just come back with a tray full of about 45 vodka and cokes. And we were like, what the fuck's this? And he's like, aye, this is just to try and calm the nerves, boys, eh? And it was needed. And we'd done the short journey from Emberkey, went to Dunfermline, to East End Park, beautiful day. I was dressed to go out, wearing a green Ralph Lauren shirt and a pair of... I think it was chippy jeans or something like that. And it was because it was like, ah, we're going out, we're going to win the league, we're going to go mental. Big mistake. <laughs> um, and as I walked up the bus, I used to sit at the back of the bus. You know, the young team back then. And 
at the very front was my uncle Francie and sort of Dutch uncle Archie and behind him was my old man. Now, I'm a, I come from a Scottish-Irish family. We're not really big on, we're not a touchy-feely people. We're not like hugging each other all the time and all that kind of stuff. And um, the emotion that we always used in our family was anger. <laughs> You know, nothing really else. We never go, um, you know, we're only going to sit in a talk show anytime soon, put it that way. And, um, but as I walked up the bus that day, I see my old man, and he just turned round at the time I was pretty much in level with him, level with him, and put his hand out and shook my hand. And that was just a moment of intimacy that was very, very, very rare between us made all the more special by the fact that my old man passed away about four months later, 6th of October, uh, 1998. And it's something I always remember because it felt like we were at the end of a journey, you know, a horrible journey, but we'd reached the end and here we were in these beautiful blue skies and sunny day and, you know, all that kind of thing. And if, Celtic support at East End Park that day was absolutely incredible. I mean, they just folded the Celtic end, obviously folded on Fenland end. You see when Donnelly scores um, the first goal, the goal behind him, which is supposed to be done Fenland end, erupts, absolutely erupts. And um, it's fantastic. And, um, you know, it was like that set. And, of course, if it had been... Because obviously what had happened the day before with Rangers and Kamarnak and Bobby Tate's karma biting him on the arse. Um, you know, if this had been a, a film, that's we would have won the league that day. But of course it's Celtic, it's not a film. It's a fucking roller coaster. And Craig Falkenbridge equalised and our world just collapsed. And um, it's interesting because I've found out a lot of things since then and... Um, players and you know what they did and all that sort of stuff and they just done exactly the same routine you know they were always waiting on a Tuesday they had the Wednesday off and the players that I've spoken to will admit now there's no way they would have got away with that in this era with the phones and, 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 and social media and stuff like that um, but they could still do that because they felt it was important um, and of course we, laid, we, go, we go to that great day on the 9th of May, 1998, which, um, you know, it's not a day like, like Love Street 86 where I'll look back and just be like, oh, God, that was magical. That's not how I feel about it. I just feel a, an incredible sense of relief that day. Um, Henrik scored, then Harold scored, and once again, Jackie put the ball in for Harold. And, um, that night, went along the Gallagate, couldn't get in anywhere, ended up in the Braemar, uh, just along for Colton Books and um, then we went back to Edinburgh to the International Bar which was a big Celtic hangout in Edinburgh back then and it was you know it was everybody's gone mental and stuff like that but I was just so drained absolutely drained of that the, the kind of feeling I just couldn't have anything and I, I think if I remember themselves we went out the next game day and had a right good kind of you know piss up but that day, I was, it was made about just, thank God, you know, it was made about like you'd been hanging on the edge of a cliff and then somebody had just come and rescued you just at that moment where it, 
your hands were slipping. And that's how it felt, and it was just it's such a seminal moment in Celtic's history. You know, to me, it's up there with Joe Weir scoring a hat trick at Dundee in nineteen forty eight to stop us being relegated. You know, it, it, it's it's one of these kind of moments of knock on effect, butterfly effect. You know, they say that you know a butterfly flaps its wings in Rio de Janeiro, a typhoon starts in Tokyo. You know, it's um, because without that um, <clears throat> season and without that day, where would we be? That's the most important thing about it for me. Where would we actually be? You know, because after that, you know, the the the, the dominance we've had, you know, since two thousand, has been absolutely incredible. And let's face it, it should have been absolutely complete, had it not been for for Rangers cheating the way five league titles in that period. Um, but you know, I'm not here to focus on the negatives. The the positives are that. If we had not stopped 10 in a row um, that day, then a party Celtic would have died, in my opinion. The fairy tale element in the club. Because it's a fairy tale element of the club that keeps you believing in times of adversity why you support Celtic. And, you know, I've got my issues now with Celtic. You know, I feel it's becoming more and more a corporate entity that's all about you know, a, a small cabal of people just making tons of money and, you know, us, the rest of the lot feeding off the scraps. But that's for another day and another podcast. The great aspect of Celtic is the fans. And, of course, in this time that we're in now, we are all, myself included, absolutely suffering like mad because we cannot see our beloved team and, you know, walk to paradise and sit in our seats and see our friends and, and uh, people we sit beside and all that kind of thing and shout and roar and cheer and boo and all the rest of it because that's what makes us, you know, we're always Celtic people I've always found in the lowest points of my life when you surround yourself with Celtic people and the stories start going and the anecdotes start flying and then the songs start singing and you say, I, I couldn't be happier I mean, quite a few times um, as a writer and somebody who well not really as a writer but as somebody who's you know will criticise the club and ask questions of the club I've been accused of actually not being a Celtic supporter and um, it's something that I never really respond to or, or dignify because I just think you know it'd be, to me it'd be like somebody who donated a kidney then told you're not a kidney donator it's so like you know anybody that knows me knows what this club means to me and that season um, was absolutely pivotal in my Celtic supporting life so what I'm doing as I said I'm giving the book the old treatment and re releasing it properly and upgrading and updating it because um, there's a lot more I know about that season than I did when I wrote it an interesting fact is I actually wrote it in New York and a lot of the information that I got was about midnight on Saturday nights on Facebook Messenger now, what's the story behind that? A certain player, who I am friendly with, used to like a, a quiet aperitif of a Saturday night and would maybe be just a little bit looser in their information, shall we say. So if I was around on a Saturday night, because this was before, I never had a smartphone then, it was a computer, I'd log on to Messenger, say, hi, how are you doing, and ask a few questions, and a lot of this stuff would um, keep flowing out. 
So I'll leave you to guess who that was. But the most important thing now is the, the leverage between then and now. And um, it's something that we hope to develop as a film, documentary, because it is important. But probably not for, like, to your screens for maybe two years because of this pandemic situation and obviously the season situation. But I just wanted to upgrade, update you on that because I think it's important. And also, if you have any stories or anecdotes or photographs from that season and you want them in the book, send them to me by Halloween to lovest86 at hotmail.com. That's lovest86 at hotmail.com. And believe me, I'll use them, even if they're absolute rubbish. I'll edit them and tart them up and find in a bit of the photos to make them look better and all the rest of it. Because at the end of the day, uh, season 97, 98 was about the fans. Um, it was about the Celtic fans. It wasn't about football fans, it was about Celtic fans. It was about Celtic fans getting the rewards for putting up with so much garbage over the years that um, we were still there and we were still fighting. And that's what's most important, both then and now. Here's to Wim's Tim's. Your name and spread your fame throughout the football world. 
You'll enjoy your reputation while the Celtic flags unfold. And his name is McNamara, he's a Celtic boy's right back. As 48 is coming, defensive to attack. He's here, he's there.